Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always is my good friend and the beat reporter for H2P over at DK Pittsburgh Sports. That's a lot of letters. Corey Crisson. Happy 13-9 day to those who celebrate. I, of course, being a Syracuse alum, do not participate in the 13 to 9 celebration escapades, what have you. But for yourself, Gary, for those listening in, happy 13 9 day. I mean, I don't want to see a repeat of it this Saturday, but <laughs> well, it wins. Then, I yeah. wouldn't mind the outcome, but I'd like to see a little bit better than 13 9, you know. Of course, but, uh, hey, it was a good launching pad for what we've seen happened since so uh Mm -hmm. good stuff there let's talk about the past before we talk about the future Corey. we we saw our pit panthers lose to cincinnati bearcats uh was drummed up as a supposed rivalry game most of us know that it's an old rivalry that died quite some time ago so Mm -hmm. this was really a meeting of non-conference strangers and uh cincinnati new coaching staff in place doing some really interesting things on offense. A lot of the things we kind of were worried about, boy, they came to play and did. Mm -hmm. But Pitt showed some fight in this one, came back and made it a competitive ball game by the time it finished, 27-21. That is not what I thought the finishing score was going to be at halftime. So what were your initial thoughts? And then we'll get into some specifics and we'll see where the conversation takes us, man. Well, my initial thoughts are akin to what I thought going into the game is that this is a staff that Pitt saw Pitt played against when they played Louisville last year in Louisville and lost. And Scott Satterfield has a blueprint to beat Pat Narduzzi is how it goes. And Emory Jones, while he did not have the, um, you know, however many yards it was and 66 points like he put up in week one against, you know, Eastern Kentucky, he was still really effective with the football. Right. And Corey Kiner, that's the guy you were concerned about, Gary, was the best player on the field at most times on Saturday. And that translated to exactly what we saw. And Emory Jones made the throws he had to make. He was smart in his reads. He was just cool back there while facing some pretty decent pit pressure. They were able to get to him later in the game, but that Cincinnati offensive line, credit to them, They kept Pitt's defensive line in that pass rush relatively at bay. And the big thing that I took away from Pitt's defensive standpoint was what Pat Narduzzi said on Monday, and that has to do with Shane Simon at the Mike linebacker. Now, I don't think Shane played an awful game by any means, but what Pat said about Shane Simon and over-communicating I think is important because in this type of a game where there's a running quarterback, there's a running back that is putting it on you as he wants – and there are receivers that are outside making plays on Pitt's Island cornerbacks. He said, Shane Simon, there were cases where he was doing too much at the mm-hmm. line of scrimmage and he was over analyzing what was going on. And he was not necessarily taking plays out of, you know, or rather his teammates rather out of the play, but there was times where he was focused on so much at some given time that he lost the task at hand. He forgot what he had to actually do for the play. And I, I, that really stood out to me when we talked to Pat after the fact on Monday. And look, 
We're going to spend an extended amount of time talking about Pitt's offense because there's a lot wrong with it right now. When you target Bub Means, your top target, 11 times and he does not record a catch, something's wrong. And that something has to do hand in hand with quarterback, receiver, and coordinator. So we we have to talk about this Pitt offense. We absolutely will. I, I want to touch on the defense and kind of wrap that up. Sure. A lot of what you said there was your biggest concern last week was losing the green dot in Dennis, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of people don't really consider, we could talk about the athleticism all we want and, and who's going to fill what roles, but that green dot is so crucial on a college football team, a pro team, but more than anything, a Pat Narduzzi team. Yep. That middle linebacker needs to be really headsy. Mm-hmm. So, is that in there, do you think? Or are we going to see some experimentation with who wears that? I think it's in there for Shane. And quite frankly, I think it has to be Shane. And that's not to say anything negative about Bengali Kamara or Brandon George or whoever else might be occupying those linebacker spots. But I think Bengali Kamara is too athletic to put in the middle. And I think that's a compliment to him. I think he's too athletic to put him in the middle. He needs to be shadowing a tight end. He can play against slot receivers. He needs to be rushing the passer. He needs to be blitzing. Shane Simon is creative too, and that's not conducive to the green dot. Right. Whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum, I think Shane Simon is more athletic than Brandon George is and is able to take on some of the responsibility that Dennis was. And keep in mind, it's not really a green dot in a literal sense. This is more or less talking about the guy that's going to be able to make the checks in moment that's going to be able to communicate with the rest of the defense effectively. There's no green dot per se, but Simon is capable of doing that. We saw that in the sun bowl. I don't want to beat down pun intended, the sun bowl um, as something that, well, they were able to do it then. And I don't want to sit here, you know, four weeks from now when we're talking about, you know, the Florida state game, when we're referring to the sun bowl, because at some point we have to move on from that. But Shane Simon was able to establish those communications lines in the Sun Bowl. He was able to convey things to, and even without Brandon Hill playing and Deslin Alexander playing and Kalijah Cansey playing, similar feel, similar thing. And this is going back to what Pat Narduzzi said before the season started, that they were able to get a head start on 2023 back in that Sun Bowl. So to put that to bed, thinking about the way Cincinnati was able to effectively run the football now you have to look at West Virginia, where Green is an athletic running quarterback, and C.J. Donaldson had an amazing game against Pitt last year. I know they don't have Bryce Ford Wheaton, and that's going to be a big factor in the, in the West Virginia offense as a whole. But C.J. Donaldson, he's not an unknown anymore. Is he going to be able to have the same effective game now that Pitt doesn't have, again, six NFL players on that defense? All right. How do you think the secondary held up against Cincinnati? Because it was to me more about what Cincinnati was doing at the line of scrimmage than it was what they were doing downfield. Mm-hmm. But, you know, wanted to get your thoughts because I know you're keeping your eyes peeled on them. I thought Cincinnati did a good job of drawing up matchups. And again, this is a Scott Satterfield thing. I thought Cincinnati was able to get their best receiver on Pitt's second or third best defender at times. And I think there were times where Pitt's defense, well, I, I thought it was called fine. They just weren't able to make some plays. Like, look at the t- the one touchdown that 
Jones threw over the shoulder. I think it was um, it was zero. I believe it was. It was either zero or two. I can't remember off the top of my head. But the diving catch in the corner by the pylon. But Javon McIntyre was just late to get back on. So there's some, I guess, growth that has to come from the safety still. And that includes McIntyre, Donovan McMillan, and P.J. O'Brien. There has to be some growth from all of them. But at the same time, I think Cincinnati gets more credit here for drawing up the right scheme, for drawing up their best player on Pitt's second or third best player at times. And then they got the success in the run game. They were able to win the trench battle on both sides of the football. They were able to get the push on Pitt's defensive line. And conversely, I know we'll talk about Pitt's offense in segment two coming up. Their, their defensive line got to Phil Dracovic and Dante Corleone while he didn't fill the stat sheet with sacks and quarterback hits, he was still very effective. Cincinnati won the line of scrimmage. They won the battle in the secondary. They, they won on all three levels of, of that of that battle right there. Yeah. All right, so let's do that. Let's take this quick break and let's get back to the offense because I do think there's some meat on that bone, brother. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you subscribe down below. Hit that little bell and get all those reminders. Oh, yeah. Keep in mind that everything Corey writes now about no matter what he's writing about is free and available for everybody to go and check out at DK Pittsburgh Sports. I mean, let's do our due diligence here, folks. Sure. There's no reason not to get good coverage of stuff. It's all there. Appreciate that, Gary. And yeah, everything available on DKPittsburghSports.com is now 100% free to read. This is a big change for us. This is a big change for the way we do business. And I know, listen, I know the pit coverage hasn't been daily, hourly like it was last year at, at sometimes, but, you know, I, me being personally just trying to be a human here, you know, I'm doing my best with you know, the ball that I've been given. So I'm having fun. Do not get me wrong. I'm still very much in tune with what's going on. And that includes what happened today on the South side when Frank Signetti Jr. took to the microphone stand, Gary. Well, you're going to have plenty of time to drop in those quotes, brother, because we, yep. we have to talk about some things that you just can't avoid. Phil Dracovic, let's start with him. We've talked about how central he was to the outcome here anyway, just like yep. he will be every single week, the rest of the week that he's healthy for, right? Absolutely. So, his numbers, 10 out of 32, 179 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions on the surface. I'm sure a lot of people would look at that box score and not think it was horrific. That said, if you actually watched it, 22 incompletions is really, really hard to miss, folks. I mean, like, that's an awful lot of misses. And, you know, unfortunately, we had to watch that again on Sunday with another quarterback. But I digress. Um Corey, go ahead and uh, tell me what you thought of Phil's performance and anything that uh, Mr. Signetti had to say about it. I mean, the biggest thing that stood out to me from that game was Phil Dracovic looked for Bub Means 11 times and they didn't connect once. Zero catches on 11 targets. I'm hung up on it. It's, it's, unf it's unfathomable to me to think that this wide receiver could not get open. 
and could not make a play for Phil. And Kanate Mumfield was the only one really that made a play. Gavin Bartholomew had the what the 76 yards, the, the two catches for 76 yards on that one touchdown drive. He was wide ass open on both of those plays. That was a good draw by Frank Signetti. Credit goes to him. But Gary, there were just throws where Phil didn't have it. Yep. And that is so concerning to me going forward. It's one thing for this offense to have to run through Phil because it will. Okay. It doesn't have Izzy Abandicanda anymore. Doesn't have a Jared Wayne anymore. Doesn't have a Jordan Addison anymore. Can he pick it? This offense has to go through Phil Dracovic and his arm and his ability to make plays in and out of the pocket. And Frank Signetti, you know, credit to him for taking the blame. You know, he said that it comes down to coaching. It comes down to, um, you know, drawing it up for Phil, putting him in the right spots. Um, today, he he said it, I'm paraphrasing, you know, he takes critical look at himself in terms of the game plan and and the play calling after the fact. And that came it with respect to the running game, but it should go and apply for all of those levels, you know? And, sure. you know, Phil was under duress in that game. The pass protection wasn't great. Again, that Cincinnati D-line did a good job of breaking through, and that caused problems um, you know, for, that, for that. But there's a, there's a thing here to figure out. And in my opinion, that thing is to figure out what's wrong with Phil. Is it he's taking too long to make his reads? Is that he's not making his reads at all? Is it the ball's coming out of his hand weird? And I asked Frank Signetti today about mechanics. And I'm going to tell you what, Gary, and to those that are listening, he gave me a big non-answer on mechanics. <laughs> so he didn't say, yeah, I like what Phil's doing with his release. No, not a single word when I asked him specifically about mechanics was about mechanics. So I don't know what to make of that. I tried to ask the question. Yeah. So... We don't have an answer. The way I understand it, you guys don't ask the tough questions. So never, absolutely, no, absolutely, <laughs> and we and we're not critical, and we're not critical either no, when never. it comes to you know players taking accountability or when it comes to accountability at, at all. We don't hold them accountable, and we don't care if they hold themselves accountable. That's what the internet tells us. I, but, I mean, it, yeah. But on a serious note, now, um. My concern with Phil Dracovic right now what is the mechanics, number one, because some of those balls that came out had no zip. They didn't. They had no, no zip you're on right. them. They're very floaty all day. The worst, the worst mistake to me, there were a lot of them from Phil, was the wide open touchdown miss to Bartholomew. When Bartholomew was just cutting across the field, all Phil had to do was put the ball somewhere where Gavin could catch it, and he had one man to beat for the end zone. He was going to score on that play. And he threw that ball three feet relatively behind Gavin. And I'm like, what is go like, is he rattled? Is he just missing? Is right. he not seeing the field? Well, so, and I don't think Cincinnati did a terrible job of coverage either. I just think the pass rush was really good and was able to flush him out quicker than he maybe wanted to. So there's still a lot for this offense to work on, whether they want to tell, you know, that things are going to be fine and we're going to iron it out. Now, West Virginia is not Cincinnati. We talked about this last week. I was more concerned with Cincinnati than West Virginia. So it does lighten up a bit. But 
going forward, North Carolina is two weeks away, and there's not a lot of time for this offense to get it all situated. Right, and West Virginia still has athletes, and if Phil's still going to throw off his back foot, he's still going to have issues. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's, I'm not a professional breaking down film or anything, but just watching him, every time you hear an announcer audibly say, Phil Dracovic off his back foot, and you're sitting there watching at home, you you know how how rare that is when when announcers call that out. I mean, that's because it's not supposed to happen. So when you see it, you call it out. Mm-hmm. Like, and I must have heard that ten times in that game. So when you bring up the mechanics, it immediately pinged in my head. Like, oh man, that's kind of what I'm hearing just from listening to the game. So, yep, we have to move on to the running back room though because. I don't know if it's just by choice or whatever, but nobody is really stepping up and taking the lead, I would say, in the room. You would think that would be Rodney Hammond. It feels like at times Pat Narduzzi and company have wanted it to be Daniel Carter. Siba Flemister, I'm a little confused about when they choose to use him, when they don't choose to use him. Mm-hmm. What do you think, man? I mean, was it just one of those instances where they got so far behind they could never really even try to establish any kind of running game rhythm, so who knows, and just throw this one out? I can't say it's even about that. We've played two games, and Rodney Hammond has touched the ball 12 times. There would be times yeah. where Israel Banikanda would have 12 touches in the first half of a game. And, you know, I get it. They want to go by committee. I get it. They really like Daniel Carter and they like the way that Sebo Flemister can, you know, run routes out of the backfield. But this is simple. Rodney Hammond needs to touch football more. He just does. Yeah. And he only, he had only six carries in the game against Cincinnati. And this is about getting back to the identity of the offense. It's kind of weird because sometimes I feel like I'm repeating myself when I talk about Pitt and the Steelers, like their identity is running the football. Not just because we see that, but it's because they say that's what that is. Mm-hmm. They want to run the football. And they know they have a good running back in Rodney Hammond. There's a running back that is, that is really liked, universally liked in that room. And by the way, that is pretty darn good, too. But again, 12 carries in two games, and that includes one of those games against an FCS opponent. So the, the bottom line is Rodney Hammond needs to touch football maybe 12 times in this game. Let, let's forget two games. Let's see Rodney Hammond get 12 touches against West Virginia. He needs to be more involved. What's that going to do? That's going to open up the play action. It's so like old school, right? It's going to open up the play action. It's going to open up stuff downfield. It's going to open up those safeties and soft spots in the middle, etc. And look, there's another thing to be said about Gavin Bartholomew. He had those two really nice catches on that touchdown drive. And then wasn't used or wasn't looked at afterwards. And again, Signetti said, yeah, we need to get Gavin more or significantly missed or that too, you know, like, yeah. like this offense has so much to work on, but here's, here's the thing about it. I don't see aside from some of the, again, mechanics and some of the, how the ball's coming out of Phil's hand that I don't think is impossible to clean up. I think there's a lot of stuff here that can be cleaned up and fine tuned but again, a lot of it is going to re- it's going to revolve back to Phil Dracovic and his ability right. to grow, not just as far as chemistry and feeling more comfortable with the offense. It's going to have to come down to him being able to make some plays. After the game, I asked Mac and Solvis because he talked about 
this offense still growing in comfort level with Phil. And I'm like, Matt, are you guys comfortable? You know, like, is this offense comfortable, Phil? He's like, yeah, we are. You know, he had to reaffirm that. But, like, there's going to take some time and maybe more time than we anticipated, you know, for Phil and Frank and, and the crew to get it going because we just assumed that because Frank Signetti and Phil Dracovic were together at Boston College, this would be a seamless transition. Phil would pick the offense back up and he'd be good to go. Well, as it turns out, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, let's put a bow on the Cincinnati game. Um, just as a fan, was encouraged to see them not quit, kind of show a little bit of fight and come back. And the coaching staff, to a degree, figure out Cincinnati and what they were doing. Sure. Like you said, they definitely had a great game plan against Pitt, but I really enjoyed seeing the pushback, too. I thought they, they did a good job coming back there a little bit. I'd like to see Hammond used in the passing game a little bit more, mm-hmm. if, if only just because you have to get the ball in your athlete's hands. And I feel like they're short on wide receiver anyway. So I'd like to see a few more swing passes, something quick slants over the middle, curls, whatever. Yeah. Just get the ball in, in his hands, screens. Something to even. get the rhythm and the rhythm and get that established. Yep. Absolutely. But that's me. Do you got any final thoughts on Cincinnati before we move on? Let's brawl. Let's get into it. All right. Another break. We'll come back. It's time for the Backyard Brawl. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Corey and Gary with you. We just wrapped up talking about the Cincinnati Bearcats feeding Pitt their lunch last week a little bit. Now we're going to talk about the backyard brawl. It's time. You already said it. It's 13, nine days, so we should all be kind of ready for this. Um, I am going to celebrate that. I know. (laughs) <laughs> are you gonna go west back virginia, and watch it west virginia is in a lot of trouble as a, as a program right now i would say a football program that not a whole lot of chance that this football coach survives this season it would seem no no real direction as to what they're doing their 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 conference is kind of falling apart around them i i don't know it's still a big rivalry for us I hope this game continues no matter what conference both of these teams wind up in. But it's not fun being in that kind of a situation. And sometimes a game like this against Pitt can wind up being your season if you're West Virginia. So -hmm. if there's one reason to worry, Corey, that for me is it. This game might wind up being bigger than their conference games to them. Mm -hmm. Well, with the rivalry... You know, there's I I grew up in Northeast Ohio. okay, and you can ask Ohio State fans, Michigan fans, you know, just using that rivalry as an example. To me, it's the greatest rivalry in the sport. And if you ask an Ohio State fan, would you rather have 0 and 12 and you beat Michigan once or would you rather have, you know, a perfect season? There are some people out there with rather the perfect season minus beating Michigan. You know what I mean? Yep. And there are people that will say, I'll take the one win against Michigan. 
There are people that will say that. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. I know there are people that will say. I know. That. And I feel like this is on that. You're not my only Ohio State friend. I know. Well, friend from the state of Ohio. <laughs> I I feel like there are some people, whether it's in Morgantown or that went to Pitt or live in Pittsburgh, that might feel the same way. They would take the you know one in eleven season. As long as they, you know, or whatever it is, as long as that one wins over them or over the 12 and one and the one wins loss or the one losses to West Virginia. There are people that would take that. So with that being said, this rivalry needs to be in college football every single year. We said this last year when it came back, it was a travesty that it was gone for 11 years. And look what happened last year. It was a record crowd at Acrisure. The MJ Devonshire, you know, the pit six that changed his life, that made history, that, I mean, dude, MJ Devonshire was on the stage with Darrell Revis at the Hall of Fame not too long ago. How cool is that? Like, yeah. you, don't, you, you don't think that gave him some notoriety? Like, the things this game does for these student athletes and these players, whether they're going to the NFL or not, and especially if they're not, this is what you go to pit for you go to pit to play West Virginia. This is why you go to West Virginia. So you can play pit in avenge 13, nine and all of that. This rivalry to me is just top tier as far as college football is concerned. And as for the actual game that is going to be on the field at Milan Pushkar stadium on Saturday, Pitt should win the game. They're favored to win the game, but you never know. Right. You just never Pitt was a top 25 team entering last year in West Virginia. If not for the, if for the MJ Devonshire pick six, who knows? Like you never know how balanced these games are going to be until you get on the field and play them. Right. They're, they're almost like, I hate to equate it to the NFL, but it doesn't really matter if Baltimore or the Steelers are up or down. AFC when North ball. When Baltimore and specifically the Steelers play each other. It's mm -hmm. going to be a slobber knocker and it's probably going to finish within seven points. So mm -hmm. that's exactly the type of game I expect here. And it's the type of game that Phil can really make his mark on this season. You know, if he can step up and step into it a little bit, Corey, sure. me, I think this is one of those ones that really should mean something to him. In particular, yes, yeah. is where he's from. Mm -hmm. You know, this really should count. What do you make of what he said after Saturday's game about home fans booing the offense and booing him? About him saying that if you boo, you're and you're a grown ass man. That's pathetic. Paraphrasing, of course. What do you? What was your thought about that? Grown ass men buy tickets, and if you want uh, to be treated as a semi pro athlete and get paid like NCAA athletes have decided they want, you better step up and deal with the, with what comes with being a, a pro athlete. Mm -hmm. You can't have one and not the other. Sorry. I used to be one of those guys that would say, Hey, these kids are going to school. There's no reason for that. You know, I'm so sorry. They're pro athletes. Now I, the way the business has changed, I'm all done with that. And mm -hmm. I don't really care if you're a hometown kid or not. It didn't matter when you chose another school and went somewhere else. That so, was the, like, that's, that you don't get a hall pass for me for that. But that was I, the criticism when he left. 
Right? I don't think he had any business saying it, to be honest. I think it was stupid and tone deaf, and he played awful. No reason whatsoever to sit there and pretend that he shouldn't have been getting booed. I will I will say he was entitled to feel that way, but you can't say it. If he feels it, he can't say it. There's just things as the quarterback at the University of Pittsburgh, as more importantly, and I can't stress this more clearly, as a representative of the University of Pittsburgh's football program, as a person that is from here, you can't say that. You just can't. And he's going to deal with whatever consequence it is. He's going to get booed in Morgantown. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Well, maybe he might contribute mightily to their effort. Yeah. Let's let's <laughs> let's see what happens there. You've got a coach that that historically loves going on the radio and doing the dirty work anyway mm-hmm. for you. But I'm Pat Narduzzi's this, a guy that would go on 93.7 The Fan and say just mm-hmm. about that. Let mm-hmm. that happen. You as the athlete don't do that. But here, here's the thing, Gary. They play North Carolina at home in two weeks. And I don't think Pitt wins that football game. I think they win this football game. I think they win this football game in Morgantown. I don't think they win this football game in two weeks against North Carolina. And in fact, I don't know if it's going to be close. If it's not close, just like the Cincinnati game was, Bill's going to get booed. And it might be a little louder than what it was against Cincinnati. And to be honest with you, Gary, after what he said, can't feel for the kid. You and remove, you remove that. Story. I'm a you remove fan. that. You know I am. Sure. But if they lose this game in Morgantown Ooh. and then lose that game against North Carolina, you won't hear any booze. And that's just a fact. That that stadium will be a ghost town, and you know it as well as I do. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll uh, be on this podcast talking about whatever changes need to be made. Yeah, we'll sure. be we'll be back to talking about should Heather Light cover half the stadium with tarp or whatever. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just Oakland saying, athletics. like bad performance for this for this football team is not something that we've had to really deal with for for a few years now. So, yeah, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen yet. Oh, neither am I. But if it starts heading in that direction, I know yeah. what's going to happen. And I'm I'm personally not going to be shocked by it. And You've basically, if you're Phil, you just gave them a hall pass. You don't want me here. You don't care what I have to say. <laughs> you don't want my accountability. It'll just be a ghost town. This doesn't need to boil over because, again, like you said, and I hate that I, I hate that this has to come up. You said it earlier in the show, and I feel like I almost fear to an extent that for the bad performances Phil Dracovic has, the thing that's always going to be hanging over his head is going to be, well, you didn't want to come here in the first place. And that is something that I fear that is going to compound now that he said, you're a grown ass man. And if you boo, that's pathetic. I feel like that comment that you made, and, and while it's true, it's true. He didn't come here originally. He wanted to go be the big shot at Notre Dame. Totally fine. He is full carte blanche to make that choice for himself. Didn't work out. Has another chance to come back to Pitt. Didn't make the choice. Went to Boston College. Now he's back at Pitt. And by the way, in January, or whenever the first meetup we had with him was, it was about, hey, we got to get the Whippeal kids to come to Pitt to play at Pitt. But he didn't do it to start. 
Yep. He didn't do it to start. So this is treacherous waters we're getting into. And Phil didn't make it easier on himself by saying, if you're a grown ass man and you're booing, that's pathetic. That said, nothing erases stupid comments better than good performance. So go out and beat West Virginia. Yeah. And, and yeah. you'll be amazed how many people will forgive you. <laughs> like, that's that's right. all there is to it. That's I mean, right. unfortunately, there's not much to break down about this game, Corey. I don't want to keep you all night. I don't think we need to go chapter and verse through which positions need to do what. Nope. I think we I think we saw in the Cincinnati game the problems. I think there's a potential for West Virginia to take advantage of some of those same problems with a scrambling quarterback and a good running back. I think they have a potential to take advantage of Pitt in in some of the same ways. Mm-hmm. Avoid that secondary altogether by running it down their throats. Negate the pass rush by running the ball straight at them or scrambling your quarterback. There's a lot of things that I think could go sideways there. I expect Pat Narduzzi to game plan better than he did this time. And stop CJ Donaldson. Yeah. No more Bryce Ford Wheaton on that offense. Stop CJ Donaldson and you'll have yourself a nice day. Yeah. So I think we see those things. I think Pitt will come out on top in this one. We don't see those things. I think you'll see West Virginia upstart this team at home. So if that happens, I'm telling you what, that's a, that's a big, ugly boulder that's rolling down a hill. And Corey and I are going to have a lot of basketball coverage coming at you real quick. <laughs> What's going on? You know what I'm saying, man. Let's hope we can keep football rolling for a bit. All right. So, hey, let's end the show the way we always do. H2P. H2P.